Friends, welcome to this episode of Leadosophy. You are here with an open mind because you know by now that is the rule, not the exception here on Leadosophy. I'm super excited about this episode and the next episode. It's a two-part series on a philosophy of leadership or developing a leadership philosophy. You may have a leadership philosophy. philosophy. I argue that you do have one, even if you don't realize you have one. If you are in a current leadership position, or if you aspire to be a leader, even if you aspire to be a leader, you are already developing a leadership philosophy or what it means to lead, how best to lead, what gets the most out of people, what detracts from getting the mission done, getting the job done, achieving the objectives. Philosophy of Leadership two-part series begins now. Here we go. Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution, you are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of leadosophy, Tim Wood. Hi, friends. Welcome back to this two-part series on developing a leadership philosophy talking about leadership philosophy, philosophy of leadership, whatever you want to call it. The first episode, I want to talk about my leadosophy group. And I posed a question about leadership philosophy to the group. And I wanted to hear what others had to say about what is their philosophy of leadership? How do they lead? What's most important to them? And I thought that if I just asked them to describe their leadership, leadership philosophy in one or two sentences or a couple phrases or something along those lines to tease out kind of their what's their fundamental assumption about how best to lead. I, I thought I, I could do that with just a quick prompt in my Facebook group. So I basically said again, using one sentence or a couple phrases, or something along these lines, can you share your philosophy on and of leadership? And I got some really fascinating responses, a lot of responses that I hypothesize that would come in a lot of assumptions or theories about having people work together, what gets the most out of people working together, uh, assumptions about micromanagement, not micromanaging others, treating others right, things like that. Very, again, I think I'd call them time-honored heuristics on how best to lead, heuristics, kind of the hand-on experience of how best to lead, both in theory and in practice. So I want to go through some of the responses that I got. I'll give a little analysis on each one. And that's kind of going to be just this first episode because I wanted you to hear some others, their philosophy, and then maybe it'll inspire you to maybe jot down a couple sentences about if you had to boil your boil down your leadership philosophy in one or two sentences or some phrases, what would you write down? What would you think about? And it's my assumption here that you will actually put some some a good amount of thought into this you won't just or maybe you will just intuitively write a few things down and then you can expand on that my first organizational leadership class at Gonzaga we had to we had to write essentially a three four page leadership philosophy and was very introspective the the goal of the exercise was to or the goal of the essay was to tease out some of our own values it was basically looking inward versus looking outward. And I'm going to talk about that about, about that more on the second episode when we talk about how to develop a leadership philosophy or kind of 
commit that leadership philosophy from the brain, the gray matter onto paper, something you can look at and say, okay, this is my philosophy. I can work with this. But the, the exercise in Gonzaga was the first time I'd ever penned a leadership philosophy of that magnitude of putting that much thought into what's important to me as a leader. What would I want as a follower? That was the first time I'd, I'd been able to do that. And it was, it was a great experience. It really was a phenomenal experience. So I'm going to get into some of these posts here. The first one is very simple. Someone wrote, never ask anyone to do something you wouldn't do. And again, this is a, I believe, a time-honored philosophy of leadership. I don't think, I think there might be, we can find some examples where this may apply. Like maybe the, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company may not go clean the bathrooms. Maybe he or she would. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there was a time where the CEO of a Fortune 500 company was the person cleaning the bathrooms. But that's just kind of a way out and right field example. But I think in general, in the general sense, that philosophy work, works really well. I had a the first Coast Guard cutter I was assigned to out of Coast Guard boot camp when I was 18 years old. A lot of very not glorious tasks you have to do as a new seaman apprentice. On a Coast Guard cutter, a lot of sanding, painting, grinding, cleaning bathrooms, splicing line, making new tow lines. There's just a lot of non-glamorous jobs you have to do aboard a ship. And anyone, Navy, Coast Guard, fishing boat, whatever, any type of ship requires a lot of work. And the deckhands are the ones that have to do the work. And that was one of my jobs. But I had a chief who had been in the Coast Guard probably about 25 years or so. And was a grizzled veteran, uh, been in the, like I said, in the Coast Guard a long time, seen a lot of things, knew a lot of stuff. I was very intimidated by this person because, again, this was my first time in the military, my first unit. And to have this chief in charge of this entire deck force uh, was intimidating for me. But I will tell you, he was one of the most influential people in the very first stages of my career. But when it comes to never asking anyone to do something you wouldn't do, it didn't matter whether we were painting or sanding the, the bulkhead of the ship at eight o'clock at night. If, if this chief was around, he would help out. If you had a question about how to best paint the hull, he was there, he was showing. And those little things that really makes a big difference. I mean, here, here I am 26 years later talking about my experience with this person almost three decades ago and how he impacted me. So you can see right there, there's a, there's empirical evidence that someone who, who will never ask you to do something he or she wouldn't do themselves. It works. It's kind of, it's inspiring, even if it's little tasks. So that's the, the first leadership philosophy nugget that I was given. The second one was lead the way you want to be led. And I think this is perfect because it's very akin to the golden rule. Treat others how you want to be treated. Lead others how you want to be led. You know, do you want to be treated fair in the workplace? Do you want to have some autonomy in how you perform your job? Do you want to work without the fear of failure looming over your head? If the answer is yes to all of this and you're a leader, then lead that way. 
make sure the people make sure the people that are following you don't have the fear of failure because they know if they make a mistake it's going to be okay hopefully it's not a catastrophic mistake hopefully it doesn't kill somebody but we learn from the mistakes and you're there to to lift them back up if they if they fall and again that's just another time honored leadership heuristic that i think applies almost across the board i can't really i can't really think of a leadership role industry to industry that that wouldn't apply lead how you want to be led. So that was a good one. The third one was interesting lead, follow or get out of the way and let someone else do it. Now I was a little put off when I first read this cause it seemed kind of, it had a uh, kind of an aura of, of egotism to it, but I had to set that aside and, after some initial reflection, again, I thought that was kind of bold, but after some reflection, I think we got to realize that leaders are put in a position for a reason. You're there to get the job done effectively and efficiently. And leadership is not for everyone. We all know this. Not everyone desires a leadership role. That's okay. Right? That's okay. And if you're in a leadership role and, and start to realize that it's not for you, it would probably behoove you to remove yourself from that situation because there are a lot, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with leadership. You have people's lives uh, in your fate, in your decision-making um, closet, I guess. So again, leadership is not for everyone, but I will say followership is everyone's business. We are all followers at some point. At some point throughout a week, we will be in a followership role more often than not. And I think this applies way more across the board than being in a leadership role, which, again, my wife makes the, uh, makes the case that we should put more emphasis on followership. I agree, 100%. We should put more emphasis on followership, what it takes to be a good follower, what it means to be a good follower. Those are things I believe we can reflect on probably a little bit more, probably give more time and attention to than we actually do. So lead, follow, or get out of the way and let someone else do it. Initially thought it was bold, but after some hindsight, some reflection, I, I think I see kind of where this person was going. You know, maybe there's just not a, not a lot of room for piddle paddle, as I like to say, him and hawing. you know, think we just got to get the job done sometimes, right? That's the leader's job, followers as well. The next one is service is the foundation of all noble leadership. I found this fascinating because this person qualified leadership with the word noble. I find that intriguing. I find that intriguing. Noble leadership. We're not just talking about leadership in the general sense here. We have elevated leadership into something noble. What does noble leadership mean to you? Is it different than just leadership? I'm providing my leadership to others. No, I am providing noble leadership to others. And I think what this person is doing... And again, I'm going to make some assumptions here, but they're linking service with nobility. Noble leadership means service, right? And I think here it's, we get into the very popular 21st century leadership style, something that's very common now. It's very trendy, I think for good reasons, and that's servant leadership. And again, I think servant leadership has many connotations, takes many forms, I think we I think if you're in a leadership role, you have to you don't have to, 
but I think it it helps to have a mindset of I am serving others. I am serving the mission. I am serving the organization. Giving more than you take. Giving more than you could t- you take. It's almost, I always kind of look at it, when you're on a leadership trajectory upwards, the higher you go on this trajectory, the more you should be trying to give, the more knowledge, the more tools, whatever it may be, to help others succeed. So I like that one. Service is the foundation of all noble leadership. What is the definition of no? We can't even define leadership yet. I'm not sure we can define noble leadership, but I think each one of us may have our own idea of noble leadership like this person probably does. And that's okay. The next one is very simple. The next leadership philosophy, allow others to do their work. Okay. I take it that this person has a very fundamental assumption that probably guides their everyday their everyday life and at work, maybe within the community in a leadership role, micromanagement, micromanagement kills productivity. That's the assumption I take away from this one-line leadership philosophy, allow others to do their work. Micromanagement kills productivity. Those are my words. Those are my assumptions. I could be wrong. What do we get when we allow others to do their work? Does that mean giving them more autonomy, empowering them more? I don't know. The next one is do the right thing. And Leadosophy likes this. Leadosophy also has some problems with this. And not not necessarily with the person in in the, the philosophy, just the do the right thing. You know, the waters of the right thing, quote unquote, can be pretty murky. And if you've ever been in a leadership role, you know this. What is right? What is wrong? Again, I think those... I think there's a lot of gray on that spectrum between black and white, right and wrong. You know, we talk about what is just, you know, we get in very philosophically laden terms, just, unjust. We talk about ethical behavior. Again, doing the right thing is going to be highly contextual and highly leader specific. Until we're faced with with a situation, let's just call it in the workplace. We don't know how we're going to react. We don't know if we're going to do the right thing. We don't know if the right thing, we may not even realize is the right thing until days, weeks, months later. We're just acting maybe on the best information we have. We hope we're making the right choice, but a lot of times we may not know. A lot of times we think we have nailed the right choice and then a bunch of unattended consequences follow. And we're like, well, in hindsight, probably wasn't the right choice. So doing the right thing, I like it. I, I mean, yeah, I think we all want to do the right thing. I just think it's sometimes a little harder than we realize. And again, this is a great time for me to bring up a very common cognitive bias. And that cognitive bias is that we tend to think we are more noble than others. We'll act more nobly in certain situations than someone else. That's, that's a cognitive bias. Can't remember the name of the bias specifically off the top of my head, but it's a real thing and research backs that up. We believe we are more noble than the next person. That's just our own cognitive bias that we have of ourselves. We are more noble than someone else. Not always the case. The next leadership philosophy, very simple, three words. Helping others succeed. That can take many forms. 
that can take many forms. It can help that can help people achieve personal goals. Things that they wanted to to do that they can do collectively as well. Right? Achieving an organizational mission. I've I've asked this before on other shows. Can we achieve the organizational mission and at the same time hopefully achieve some personal goals or better ourselves from a personal standpoint? Can we help someone grow? Maybe not necessarily into a leader, which that's great if you want to grow leaders. But can we just help that person get better at their job? And this goes back to knowledge, tools, resources. I say this all the time. We can help others succeed by giving them the knowledge, the tools, the resources they need to do their jobs. Not just do their jobs, but do their jobs well. Leadosophy believes that people inherently want to do a good job. They don't want to do a poor job. I think that's a fundamental assumption from my leadership standpoint and my leadership, my philosophy of leadership is that I go into a situation assuming that people want to do their best job. How many barriers can I remove for them? So helping others succeed. Three words, great philosophy. The next philosophy I really like, create a company culture that attracts the right people and inspires them to perform at their peak. Leadosophy believes this is very akin to the soil analogy. I've done, I think I've done a whole episode on soil analogy. Soil analogy, creating the conditions in the environment for the plants to grow. Not necessarily forcing the plants to grow, creating the conditions around them, providing the right nutrients to the soil, water, sunlight, giving everything you need in the, in the organization for people to flourish. And again, you know, to kind of juxtapose this, this philosophy, organizational culture is very complex. So when, when this person says create a company culture that attracts the right people, that philosophy is one sentence sounds simple, but organizational culture is highly complex and highly fluid, and dynamic. It's constantly changing, constantly evolving. Who sets the tone for this culture? I believe everybody has a role. Everybody has a role. Okay, so the next leadership philosophy, a little more in depth, a little more in depth. Leadosophy likes that. Knowledge and control are power. With both of these, the more you give, the more powerful they become. And by they, I'm assuming this person means followers. Share and give knowledge freely. Give control to others. Encourage them to do the same. This builds leaders. This builds leaders. So knowledge and control are power. I agree. There's knowledge and knowledge. Knowledge is specifically is powerful. Again, knowledge tools, resources. Make sure that people have the knowledge they need to succeed. Again, not necessarily to become a leader, just to do their job well. Give them the knowledge. And I do believe Leadosophy believes that we should share power when we can share that control. And I'll kind of get into that with with my leadership philosophy at the end. So the last one I want to talk about, which I've, I really, this one resonated with me. I've, I've been thinking about this for a few days now, and there's a lot more I want to talk about at some point. But the philosophy goes, quote, leadership must be fluid, changing with personnel, the job, mission, environment, etc. One cannot be one dimensional to be a good leader. I like that. I don't think we can be one dimensional. I don't think that will help us. So competing demands and unique situations dictate 
what is needed from the leader. That's what leadosophy believes, which begs the questions. Here's some questions that come from this. Is a leader more reactive to his or her environment? Is this what, lead, is what, this what leadership is more about? Being more reactive. We can try to be proactive, but a majority of the time, might we be, have to be more reactive to the environment and the changing conditions in the environment? What people need, their desires, their fears, their anxieties, what the organization wants, changing objectives, changing missions, what my boss wants, what my boss's boss wants. All these things happening around us, many of this out of our control that we are reacting to. So a question for you, are you a multidimensional leader? If your intuitive answer is yes, why do you say yes? What makes you multidimensional? And what does this look like? Let Leadosophy know. Be curious to hear your thoughts. Might it be adaptability? Maybe you're quick-witted. Maybe you have high general intelligence. Or you're able to monitor and assess a dynamic environment. Might be some qualities, characteristics of the multidimensional leader, which I like. Multidimensional leadership. Maybe that's a new thing. Who knows? I don't know if we need any new leadership things, but Leadosophy likes that. Hillary Putnam is a philosopher that passed away a while ago. He said that any, any philosophy that can be put in a nutshell should be put there. I believe a leadership of philosophy is no, uh, no exception. My four phrases for my leadership philosophy, lead humbly, learn together, empower others, flourish collectively. These four these four phrases are undergirded by a host of assumptions on what I believe gets the most out of people, gets the most out of a team to achieve a goal. Leading humbly, I believe humble leadership allows us to check our own passions, allows us to check our own knowledge, our, our circle of competence, makes us maybe not try to stray outside of our circle of competence. And with that humility, knowing that we only know so much, we're allowed to see, we're not afraid to seek others for their knowledge and what they can bring to the table. And we're not scared by that. We're not intimidated that others are going to take our place. Learning together, again, the co-creation of knowledge, co-creation of truth and reality. I don't have a monopoly on the truth. I can learn from someone else. Empower others. Leadosophy believes empowerment is, is critical in the world of leadership. We can't always empower others. Sometimes we have to take the reins, make the decision ourselves, because maybe we are in the best place to make that decision. But if we can, if we, we have the time to give power to someone else to make a decision, again, how, do you, how else are you going to grow leaders if you don't let other, other people make decisions? Be in that decision-making uh, process. Let them experience that process. And then flourish collectively. F human flourishing is a very philosophical phrase that leadosophy is bought into. I believe in... in human flourishing. I believe in collective human flourishing. I believe that the more humans are, the more humans that are flourishing, the better. We are all better because of it. And I believe the workplace is no exception. I believe a leader's job in the workplace is to promote the environment. Go back to that soil analogy, create the fertile conditions where people can flourish. And again, everyone has to discover their own idea of what it means to flourish. The leader can't put that on somebody. Can't leader can't dictate that. It's just creating the conditions where people can grow and achieve what they need to achieve. So I'm really grateful for the feedback I got on leadership philosophies, really short leadership philosophies. I appreciate that. Leadosophy is grateful. 
on the next episode, I'm going to get into your leadership philosophy. What is it? Have you ever thought about it? Why do you need it? That's what we'll talk about on part two of, of leadership philosophy or philosophy of leadership. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember, leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of leadership and of life. Thanks for watching. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.